Welcome back to the Greenwood and Muller podcast here on any podcast station available. You've got us on Spotify, Apple, wherever you want it. You can, you've got us on uh, the Greenwood and Muller show. And this time it was with the former Newcastle legend Lee Clark. And it was a hell of a day, Sam. An interview with a former entertainer, former legend. And then the news, more or less an hour later, that the takeover yeah. had been cancelled, turned off, basically just non-existent anymore. Yeah, it was, it's just such a shame as well because this was a really good interview. And I'll tell you why. It's because once we get started, you barely hear me and Johnny. You just wind him up and Lee, Lee goes, he's absolutely superb. He's so funny as well. Um, and then afterwards, after we'd finished the live stream, which was a couple of weeks ago now, I mean, we did a video with our Lee, not Lee Clark, at RNFTV <laughs> Lee. And then the takeover news breaks that it's all off. So we were going from being on a high, we're absolutely got that post-interview buzz about us. And then it was just from rock bottom. So it was a day of mixed emotions, wasn't it? Yeah, for sure. But what can we say about Lee Clark? He was fantastic value. And as you've mentioned, Sam, you give him a question, he'll give you the answer. And you just couldn't stop listening to him. And the stories about the 90s and Tino, and then moving to Sunderland, and then obviously that t- the famous T-shirt, the FA yeah. Cup final, in which uh, cost him a Sunderland career, really. But it, it was a fantastic interview. It was we basically talked about nearly everything, and we only had for forty-five minutes as well. But what was your standout moment before people get a listen? Tino need new car. That's all I'm going to say. I love that. Yeah, love that I mean. I'd, I'd tell you what wasn't. He got a phone call halfway through. So this is episode six, and I'm pretty sure every episode so far has had some sort of technical glitch. Next week, I believe, is the first one where we haven't had any technical issues at all. So <laughs> look forward to that. But, um, yeah, we thought we'd lost him for a little minute, but um, luckily we hadn't. But, yeah, Tino need new car. That's all I'll say. Oh, what a story that was. What a story. He always talks about... Newcastle Blue Star and the fact that he's the director of football there. He wants to try and get more, I think, Newcastle-born lads an opportunity, really. Just try to give something back to the community. And he loves to talk about the old kits, which obviously me and Sam absolutely love with, obviously, the old days, 90, uh, obviously the 90s when Newcastle were a good the team. Glorious. The glorious, even though there wasn't any trophies. But we talked about the fact that Newcastle did the throwaway title against Manchester United. Well, Lee Clark tells us his side of the story. He tells us about Des Hamilton. He gets a mention as oh, well. I still, I, I have that little clip from the live stream saved on my phone. And whenever I'm having a slightly crappy day, I just pull that out, watch that, and it perked me right up. That had me chuckling for weeks. It's so rare that you, you see ex-pros kind of slacking each other off and that the way Lee just come out of it as you'll hear it absolutely had me in stitches yeah for sure and also a big thank you to our sponsor BF52 who are in partnership for the Greenwood and Mullen the show in which they even get eight cans of either IPAs or stouts or lagers for nine they're 595 rather which is just basically the price of postage so a fantastic offer for you there if you want to get your BF52 it's BF52.com forward slash nftv but without further ado it is the green word Mullen show podcast with lee clark i'm not going to do the jingle (laughs) 
Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Greenwood and Milner show. And we have a fantastic special guest. What can we say? He's an entertainer. He is the former Newcastle player. And I think it's fair to say a Newcastle legend. And that is Lee Clark. Lee, welcome to the Greenwood and Milner show on Newcastle Fans TV. Thanks for the invitation, lads. Delighted to be on. Um, so looking forward to the next 45 minutes or so. Brilliant. So I'm a player that I think every Newcastle fan has admired over a well, 20-odd years or so, really. Yeah, fantastic well, to finally get Lee on. Sorry, Lee. And uh, whether it's in the black and white or, I mean, we know he's had a forgettable stint in the red and white, but he more than made up for that with a with a, with a certain <laughs> T-shirt, which we'll come on to, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure he might. <laughs> uh, Lee, obviously, from Wall's End, which is not a million miles away from where I'm from, but for people that probably don't know where Newcastle is, it's probably about seven or eight miles max, six miles away from St. James's and a product from Wars and Boys Club. I think one question in particular is why are Wars and Boys Club so good at producing some top talent? Like I'm looking at some of the names, likes of Beardsley, Shearer, Thompson, Watson, Elliot, um, Carrick, yourself, the list yeah. just goes on. Yeah, our, our current manager at Newcastle as well. Steve. Bruce as well, yeah. I mean, the, I think they, uh, they made a t-shirt, didn't they, of a Premier League 11. There was a the starting eleven of players who'd played in the Premier League, and I think it would have it would have certainly challenged for a place in in the Champions League. Now we've been in four places, that's for sure. <laughs> but uh, now that you answer your question, what it does is it uh, they get you in at such a young age, they give you discipline, they give you an organisation, they give you a structure, and uh, if you're good enough in terms of the levels to get to the to make a career from the game, that's great. That's all well and good. But what it also does for the lads who Either one, don't decide footballs for them, or two, unfortunately, don't make the level. It makes them well-disciplined and uh, well-structured in, in their life away from the game. And whenever we have the nights, the you know, the, the presentation evenings or the, the, the regular annual raising of money evening for them um, in October time, when we meet up together uh, or from all different walks of life, it's as if we're being back together again. And when I mean structured, I mean like, the first group I actually went when I was six, but the youngest team was under 11. So I was like five years younger than the team I was involved in. And um, uh, the Northumberland FA rules really was only that the youngest you could be to play in an under 11 team was about nine. So that right my name down on the team sheet uh, is someone else really. So I hope I'm not getting them into trouble many, many years <laughs> later. But uh, So I was various different names over the course of the season. But, what used to happen on a training evening, uh, we'd go upstairs and we're like a, a like a just a blank room that was made into like a, a weights room into a physical room where we used to go up there half an hour and then come downstairs and do our football work on the five side court. And then it, when we finished in the gym, the the next age group, which would have been the under twelves, would follow us in and that was the the process all the way through to the under eighteen. So you used to see the lads from the various different age groups and uh but it was a it was a great way of of having structure and organisation. If we weren't there training for the eleven aside team, we uh, invariably were playing in the five aside leagues that they had on. So it was basically our life for at least five six days a week. Five days would be at the boys' club on a Sunday. We'd be playing in the eleven side games. So probably only have, have a Saturday away from there, really. Yeah, I was just going to say it, it's just fantastic, really. Like you can 
see so many other players and you can just say, look, that's probably the club to be at, especially that young level. And to be able to go and express yourself, enjoy your football, it is brilliant. Um, we'll get some questions in as well, Liam, from our subscribers as well. And Stephen's got one straight away for you. He says, why did you leave Newcastle the first time round and any regrets on your footballing career? Because I was going to mention... Um, obviously in that 96-97 season is it right that you actually could have gone to Sunderland earlier before you actually did? Um, whether I could have went earlier I don't know, I know that they were interested in the January window when I ended up going at the uh, the following July um, the reason I left was because it was becoming increasingly difficult no matter how I played um, that I was going to stay in the team and you, 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 I don't know if you remember this as an example but not long after Kevin left, I'd, I was, I'd forced my way back into the team and things were going well. And then when Kenny took over, his first game when he got announced was the Charlton Athletic replay in the FA Cup at St. James as myself and Alan scored to win 2-1. And then we went to um, we went to Villa and we, we drew 2-2 there and I scored that day when, when Alan put Bosnich off when he went to kick the ball out and I lobbed it over <laughs> his head from the halfway line, which... Uh, I was delighted with because he wasn't my most popular opponent, Mark Bosnich, I've got to say. So, and then, <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then we went down to Southampton and I scored again and I was playing well. And we got a, unfortunately for us, uh, you know, that Matt Letizia who seemed to keep all his worldly goals for us. I think he had a collection of goal of the seasons against Newcastle. He scored an unbelievable half volley a couple of minutes from the end to deny us a three points. And uh, so I'd come off the back of that week and, uh, was playing well, scored three and three, and um, you know my performance level was high. And we played Forest in the next round, the FA Cup at St James's, and you know the manager Kenny Daglish got us in and just said he couldn't really give us a specific reason, but he was leaving us out. Peter was coming back fit. Peter Beardsley had obviously yeah. Robert Lee, you had David Batty, and I just thought to myself, well, I've been playing at the top of my game. I've been as good as anybody in the team. I'm and also I'm at, I'm I'm scoring goals, so I'm making a contribution. And not just in my performance, and uh, then I thought, well, this is possibly the time to to move on and 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 look, because the most frustrating thing for a footballer is to train extremely hard Monday to Friday, then you don't get that uh, possibility of playing the game or starting the game on the weekend. And if it, you know, I know there was times before that, but that was just few and far between. There wasn't long periods where I was going out the team and staying out the team. Um, I just felt it was the right time to move on. And the club actually offered us a new deal. Because um, I think they realised that I was a player that, no matter what, even though I was frustrated, and I would, sh I would uh, show me frustrations to the management team that I wasn't playing, um, that I would work hard on the training ground. And even when I came on the pitch as a sub, no matter how long was left in the game, I'd give me absolute maximum. So... You know, it was probably a good player to have in and around the, the the players. So um, now that was probably the right uh, the right thing to do. And then in that summer, I had obviously lots of possibilities, both uh, Glasgow Giants, um, Aston Villa at the time, Derby County, Mule manager Jim Smith, Frank Clark at Manchester City. Um, so there was there's, there was lots of possibilities, and uh, Sunderland was the last club I spoke to, and, and eventually end up there. It, it, it must have been strange, maybe surreal, because as you can see in the pictures below, you you, you bleed black and white, Lee. And I think, again, you, you play for Newcastle 200 times. Did it not worry you going into, going down the A19 and just 
or was it just it was it Peter Reed? Was he the, was he one of the big attractions? Did he just believe in you and maybe slightly different to Kenny Daglish? Did he just believe that you could go out there and play at a great a good level and get game time week in week out? Um, well, you know, I, it wasn't that I didn't think Kenny believed in us. It was just the the unbelievable quality we had in the squad for just a, a small number of positions, and I, I got that, you know. So, um, and Peter was had lots of similarities to Kevin, uh, Kevin Keegan. He's very inspirational, um, you know, very enthusiastic. He obviously had Paul Bracewell, um, who was played a big part in my career overall, was as a mentor of mine when we played together in the team. When I was just a youngster and he was the senior player, we played alongside each other. He went, he obviously done terrific for the club, then went on to be Peter's assistant. So he played a big part in that also. Staying in the northeast, we just had my first child, my youngest son. Well, obviously, you know, we're my oldest son now, as it is. But he, uh, he's, um, and, and that played a big part. I didn't, you know, I was never in any thought process about moving away. I was a northeast lad, but I just thought I didn't, I didn't see there's any extra pressure. I just didn't see it. Um, I just knew that as long as I performed, you know, the fans would accept this. I still used to come and watch Newcastle in a midweek uh, game or if we played on a different day on the weekend, I was still at St. James's Park or even around the, the, the country watching the club um, and still support them. There was friendly banter, nothing that went over the top. Um, I think they understood. Um, it never got you know too serious. And then, uh, <clears throat> so obviously, and then the two years I played for, for, for the club, um, it went really, really well. So I, 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 I'd done the job, and then obviously the the incident that uh, meant that me, me position there become untenable. Yeah, I, I think Sam will touch about the t-shirt situation very, very shortly. But Sam, yes, if you look at I, maybe... <laughs> I think you did. That was the one question straight away. Yeah. Um, but Sam, you look at that teams in the nineties in particular. Um, obviously, in ninety-two, yeah. Newcastle managed to get a result against Leicester. And obviously kept them in the division under Kevin Keegan and Lee. Obviously, he came off the bench that day. Is that right, Lee? For uh, against Leicester? Yeah, I was. Uh, I'd been carrying an injury that weekend, uh, you know. So I was actually doubtful for the game and uh, didn't think I was going to play any part. And I just said to the manager, "Listen, I'm not sure how long I'd last, but if you want us to be involved, um, you know, I will be." And he, he said, "Right, what I'll do is I'll start you from the bench, and if if I need you, we can throw you on." I says, "Right, fair dues if." If the injury reoccurs, I've got all summer to recover from it. Um, so we've we done that, and uh, so didn't play a huge part, but it was obviously still very um, emotional and very very nervous time because uh, uh, we just needed to get get the result and get the season over and done with. So Kevin, the manager, then could just uh, regroup, rebuild the club, and uh, thankfully we did get the results went our way, and it, it fell for us. And we stayed in the league, and then it meant the manager, and then you know could could rebuild the football club. Yeah, for sure. And you got to look at it and promotion the year after. And then <clears throat> Simon Yorwood, do you think Kevin Keegan transformed Newcastle? And obviously, Lee was a big part of that as well, especially in the yeah, early years of Newcastle going back up. It was the reason why I started supporting the club. It was it was a great time. The the early mid nineties. It was that brand of football. It was just awe-inspiring as a, as a young lad that's that's how you want to 
that's how you want to play football. That's how you want to learn football. It's it's just it was just mind blowing. Um, Lee, what was the what was the dressing room atmosphere like around that time? Because there was some from the outside looking in, there's some quite big characters going on in that dressing room, and then particularly later on when you had the likes of Tino Espria and you know you had the likes of Albert and then Soler's Shearer. There's just so many personalities in that room. What was what was the mix like? Absolutely fantastic. The manager, that was uh, one of his, it was a huge asset he had actually of uh, his signings. If you look over the course of his period, his management at Newcastle, he very rarely got any wrong. If he did, there was just a couple of players who maybe uh, the club was a little bit too big for them. The expectation was not that they weren't talented players because they moved on to other clubs and, and done well. But, uh, you know, the manager just picked, you know, the right type of player at the right time for the right position. He brought the type, right type of characters in. When lads came from different countries, the the the, the blended into the camaraderie of the group really well. There was a great uh, mix of when we could have fun, which was lots of times on the training ground, but also when we had to be serious and. Uh, you know, it's within a match day, and there was lots of times. You know, you see from that picture there when we all got back together, it was it was like we hadn't been away from each other, and uh, the camaraderie was just electric again to see each other. Um, you know, we'd got a few more grey hairs, with the exception of Tino. You kind of get grey <laughs> hairs if there's no hair there, but uh, <laughs> we. Uh, and it, that was a great day because. So, some of us hadn't seen each other for a long time and for all of us to be back in the same dressing room it was just like we hadn't been away from each other that was electric and what happens when that happens is when you're sitting in the dressing room it's just non-stop uh, the banter that's flying because someone will say something then there'll be a reply and then there'll be a reply and uh, no the manager got it right he, he got it right with experienced players as well and in, in, in younger players <clears throat> I think he, what he'd done is he he, he relied and he'd seen that one of the good things from the Ozzy Adelis era was the quality of the youngsters and the homegrown lads that were at the club. He kept the majority of us together, five or six of us, and then he brought senior players in around us to help us, to mentor us, uh, to give us some guidance on the pitch at times when we needed it. Uh, and there was a, that great combination. And uh, if I think back all the way to really his first signing, that made the, the impact when Brian killed Klein. You know, Brian was that type of player. He was a senior player. He was a he was a leader, but he's also, you know, a mentor and a guidance to us young lads. You know, and then you got the likes of David Kelly, uh, Kevin Sheedy, all these type of players. Then obviously Barry Venison and um, <clears throat> Paul Bracewell. Uh, you know, I, I don't include people like Bez and that because they were just like mid twenties at the time, even though you know they were a bit older than us. But when I'm talking real senior players, you know, so uh, it was brilliant. And then we just obviously, as you said, we brought the likes of David Ginola in from foreign shores, and uh, and uh, then Tino, Philip Albert. Just you know, they just they ended up being adopted. Geordies, basically, they loved the place, and uh, and we, we got on great together. Fantastic. Um, there's a couple of questions there. The one I did see was about Tino Esprit and obviously he came in in the big jacket um, in 1996 <laughs> and obviously he gets put on the bench against Middlesbrough. Have you got any 
stories about Tino Lee because he was a character, wasn't he? To set as an I've understatement. Got, I've, got, I've got some ones. I've got plenty of stories that cannot be told on a family show, and I've got some. <laughs> that can be, so, uh, yeah, I'll start with obviously the the real start of it was if you remember he'd done his press conference. It was snowing at St James's when Terry brought him into the car park area. They had the big fur coat type thing on. And then we got to first really meet him uh, down at Middlesbrough, the hotel, on the Saturday at about 11, 30, 12 o'clock when we're having my pre-match meal. And usually when it, when it gets to that time, you're having a light meal, some poached egg on toast, a bowl of cereal or something like that, a bit of fruit, cup of tea or a glass of orange juice. Tino was having a full bowl of pasta and half a carafe of red wine. <laughs> so we thought, uh, we thought, oh well, he he's, he mustn't. He's not obviously involved. He must be just going to start training with us on Monday and get ready for next week game. But when the gaffer named the team at the at the Riverside, he put Tino on the bench, and we're thinking, wow, he's just had half three and a half, four glasses there, a good red stuff. So um, <laughs> we all know what happens next. He comes on the pitch and does a great bit of magic on the wing and crosses it for Steve to have head home. Steve Watson had the winner in. So I'm not sure. I thought at the time maybe we should all start drinking the red <laughs> but that group of players probably would have taken a bit too far. And then the other one was um we had a sponsorship deal with a car company and every six months we used to get the car changed. Um, it was with uh, Land Rover Rover at the time. And we'd done a big photo shoot at the start of the season uh, where we all got handed the keys and we all got in front of our cars from the different dealerships around the northeast. And Tino's uh, interpreter used to drive for him, but this time Tino come up and says, he's been in the, you know, basically said he'd been in the country long enough. He knew how to drive. He was confident to drive himself. So he took off in his, his Rover car out the old gates, trying to get across Barrack Road. And he, so he's obviously been in the car 10, 20 seconds. And we just hear this crash, bang, wallop, and uh, <laughs> the sound of a humongous car crash. So as that happens, and we're all a bit in shock, Tino starts walking back into the main car park uh, of the Milburn stand with his car keys in his hand and just says to the gaffer and the guy who's handing the cars out, Tino need new car. <laughs> so he obviously drove across Barrick Road and had me like so he's driving which he was telling everyone was fantastic wasn't up to scratch <laughs> and that is absolutely was brilliant other times, in the, other times in the dressing room he used to cut the arms off his, he used to wear dress shirts he used to like uh, shopping at the Disney store so he used to wear like dress shirts uh, collared shirts with uh, Tweety Pie on the on the shoulder and stuff and we'd cut the arms off his shirts and cut the the tours out with socks, so we had to put his sock on. It would end up on his thigh before he realised. And uh, there was a few explosives when he uh, realised it was us Geordie lads. It was usually us Geordie lads at the front of all that stuff. So, uh, but a, a great fella, a great fella. You know, like Philippe, like David, bought into the group, had a great rapport with the lads. Didn't try and uh, you know change. Wanted to buy into the culture of the club. Uh, in the culture of the lads and you know when we used to socialise which we did quite often as a group you know there was never once where we'd had little because I hear this story about little cliques being formed in the dressing room there was never that possibility with us because if anyone was ever out socialising whether it be just with the lads there'd always be a message get round to say look we were, we're going for a bite to eat or we're meeting for a beer in this bar and if anyone fancies it this is the time or if we're going out with our wives or our girlfriends would do the same, you know, in a weekend after the game. And so there was always the option for everyone to be there together. And more often than not, we'd done it together. The, the most lads would 
would turn out. I mean, I seen an, I seen an article the other day, I think, in the Chronicle where Terry Mack had been talking, and he was there. Uh, there was a picture of us all in a restaurant on the quayside, and he was the headline was, "I don't, I can't believe we've never done it with this group," and it showed you just round the table. It must have been about twelve of us, and. Uh, that was a regular occurrence in terms of, and that kept it together. But the, the thing I stress to people all the time is, we weren't we were, we were great pals. But I tell you what, when it comes to Saturday or whatever we're playing, we weren't trying to fall out with each other to get the right result, because we knew the the result affected all our lives. It affected our lives as the players because we hated to lose. Affected the manager and his staff because he was the same. Affected our social life because if we didn't win, if we lost a game, we never went out because we, we thought it disrespected the fans and we knew if we lost the game, the fans would be unhappy. So we were ready to fall out with each other and then uh, kiss and cuddle. Well, not kiss and cuddle, but, you know, make <laughs> up. We, we didn't go like that. We didn't go that far <laughs> friendship. But, uh, you know, we, uh, you know, and then make up after the game because ultimately all that mattered was getting the three points. I always had the mindset when I was driving into the game, first and foremost was get the three points. Secondary, Try and make sure my personal performance was up to the level. But the first, the, the first thing on my mind was winning the game, and then my my uh, personal situation uh, would take care of itself after that. That was the most important thing, um, and I, and I done that because I remember, um, I mean, one of my last games, uh, the game at the Stadium of Light, when Glenn Road, I made the substitution and he brought me off for chops, Michael Chopra. And, uh, you know, the game was out, we're losing the game and then we end up winning 4-1. I remember Glenn apologising. I said, hey, Glenn, got nothing to apologise for. I says, I'm, I'm glad you took us off and we end up winning because I would have been gutted if you had kept me on and went and losing. And that was my mentality. And especially because I was selfish in that respect because I, I was never on the losing team in a town and we had Derby and I wanted to keep that record until I retired. And thankfully I did. Yeah, you definitely did. Sam, I'll let you ask Lee about... The famous T-shirts, because I know that's a story you want to talk about. <laughs> it, it it's just the stuff of legend, isn't it? I mean, I wasn't the only one. I'm sure uh, someone else wants to know where was it. There was a comment here. What was Peter Reed's reaction to the whole incident, and what was the thinking behind it? Why did it happen? Because it was obviously. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a back. But... I'll give you a backdrop into the whole situation. It was the second cup final. Uh, in a row, wasn't it? Yeah. And, and the first one when uh, was before when I was playing for Sunderland. Uh, I think maybe it's a week or two later, Sunderland were playing Charlton in the pre in the playoff final. So we were having a little bit of a social gathering down in Manchester with the manager. A little bit of a break in between the last the playoff semi final and the playoff final, and I asked him, um, asked him if it would be possible for us to go to the to the cup final. And his exact words was, "Yeah, of course you can. Just don't wear any club colours." Uh, but I actually got into Ray Thompson, me mate, the kit man at your castle, and he got me and me pals some black and white shirts. But we went on to the game, and obviously we know there was a defeat, and no, no, nothing passed. Had the weekend down there, had a cracking weekend, and then cracked on. But then the following season, when I'd asked the same question, it was the same reply from the gaffer, Peter Reid. But obviously this time, I went with some friends. We we got out at a, at a pub in Baker Street that was owned by a Geordie, and there was a few guys who I knew when we jumped out the black cab, uh, they whipped the T-shirt on my head. And as the T-shirt went on, for about 30 seconds, 45 seconds to a minute, the camera flashes were just going for fun. And uh, 
I went to the bar, we took the t-shirt up, and I remember I went to the bar and uh, my father-in-law, me and my father-in-law were standing, his, his exact words were, oh, that could get you in a bit of trouble, and my reply was, do you think so? It obviously did, you know, um, And uh, but really was adamant. I mean, also, you know, I don't know if anybody, a lot of people know this, but um, I'd actually spoke to Peter uh, before the season had finished when we just got beat off Leicester City in the um, Carling Cup semi-final, double, double uh, two-legged game at the Stadium of Light. But the league championship was already wrapped up. So I went into his office to see him. He was having a beer with Andy Gray, who was working with Sky then. And I just says, can I have a word? And he says, yeah, do you, do you want Andy to leave? I says, no, no, Andy can stay. And I just says, listen, boss, I says, uh, there's a real predicament for us now. And I says, I just need to be open and honest with you. I says, promoted to the Premier League. I says, Newcastle are there. And I says, I couldn't do it, you know. I says, I couldn't I couldn't go up against Newcastle for Sunderland in the two games and give you what I've given you every single game, whether I've played good, bad or, in, or, or indifferent. And that would be 100%. It would feel weird. I never got that feeling, obviously, when I played for Fulham because it was a completely different scenario. Yeah. But I just I just felt in my heart of hearts and in my own mind it, I couldn't I couldn't be fighting for that badge. Um, at Sunderland Badge against Newcastle United, and in really in his typical manners, told us to do one, but in his in his words, and uh, <laughs> you know, and even after the T-shirt, he was adamant that I would be in the team. The fixtures had come out, and Sunderland's first game was Chelsea away at Stamford Bridge, and he was adamant that I would be in the team. But obviously Bob Murray, because Peter was away in France at the time on holiday, and I was in the boardroom with the chairman then, Bob Murray, my agent. We already had Fulham. We knew Fulham were interested and lined up to sign me. Um, and obviously, Bob Murray, which is understandable. You can never bite the hand that feeds you. Um, so was said it was you know untenable for me to stay at the club and what they wanted from the deal. And Fulham were ready to pay that. So we got ourselves down there and uh, a new chapter in my career. Yeah, I think, it, look, at least you're honest with Peter. I mean, obviously, the T-shirt, it's the T-shirt. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely, yeah. Are you honest? Of course. It's listen, um, I think even if the T shirt hadn't happened, I would have left the club. How hard the club would have made it for us to leave, I don't I can't answer that because obviously I'd had a successful two years. Uh, what that meant was they probably took what they probably took the money they did, which I think they made about a million quid from Fulham on top of what they had paid Newcastle just to get a quick deal. Now, whether they would have sat out and asked for more money and Peter would have been adamant. And... Oh, is he still there, Sam? Oh, no. Oh, just, give, just give it a second. Just give it a second. Some fantastic stories, Sam. Okay, I, I, I don't push. <laughs> and uh, someone just called there. So, um, That's and, right. And, 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 and that was just, so it was just, uh, it was just, it was just me just, you know, trying to be honest, and, and and I felt felt more comfortable. And then, as I said, when I played for uh, for Fulham v Newcastle, there was only one way I wanted the game to go, and that was uh, and that was for Fulham to win the game. So it was completely different mentality then. Um, you know, I had a job to do for for a great club that I was playing for. So, but it was just it was obviously the mindset and and in, in, in my situation of being a staunch Newcastle fan that I couldn't. I couldn't sell, see myself doing what me one of my biggest assets were, and that was giving a hundred percent in every game in those games for for Sunderland v Newcastle. Yeah, 
And I'd like to think that the Sunderland, I'd like to think that the Sunderland fans would understand that because they don't want to play out playing in the tiny way Derby, who's not giving their all for their team. I think uh, you know they they wouldn't want that. They, you, if you're going to win that game, you cannot have any passengers. Um, so you know it's um, you know you'd like to think they'd understand, but obviously they'd be frustrated as well. Of course, of course. I wasn't going to mention that winner for Fulham against Newcastle in the uh, early 2000s, mind, but uh, we'll let you off with that one. I keep saying and share the video of that one. <laughs> it was a good finish, to be fair, but I'm not, that's, that's all I'm going to say on it. <laughs> um, one final question before we talk about, the, obviously, the current spell at Newcastle, uh, Lee. Just, I think, obviously, the entertainer tag and obviously finishing second to Manchester United two seasons in a row. I think the two very brief questions. How close do you think Newcastle were to winning a, the Premier League? And also, what did you think was your best game at Newcastle? Well, the first one's easier because um, it's difficult to say about my best game because uh, you've said at the bottom there, I was living the dream and most of the games I played for the club felt like my best game. Um, you know, uh, I mean, probably me, I would say my best game in terms of... Um, not thinking it was ever going to happen would have been the, the first time I started on my second time round at Blackburn Rovers at Ewood when we won 3-0 when Alan and Michael scored because I never ever thought I thought my time had been and gone at Newcastle and I never thought that possibility was was there anymore to come back and for me to to do that and be involved in you know near on if not near 30, 30 Premier League games and uh, was an unbelievable way to finish things and at least there was a the chance for all my kids to see us in action in a in a black and white shirt because, you know that that was the one regret I had that you know that they didn't have that possibility. Um, the reason, I mean, the entertainer stuff and how close did we come? Well, we, we came as close as you could come without doing it, and to have a lead like we had and get it eroded, it's still, it's still. It's haunted the right word. It still plays on your mind. You, I don't think there's ever one day where I don't think about it. I think, uh, you know, I joke that there's dust being built up on the in the trophy cabinet because I, I, I <laughs> think the gap and we never dusted away because, you know, you're such, such uh, in, in disturbed. But it, there's so many few players who won it because if you think, you know, there's been about three or four dominant teams like so Man United, Chelsea, uh, Man City, Arsenal had a period where they won it on a consistent basis and then you've probably had um, obviously Liverpool are the latest team but you expect them to be involved in it going forward but then you've had Leicester and then you obviously had the Blackburn one in the 90s and we could have been in that select group of players who have that Premier League uh, winner's medal um, in that cabinet and I mean players who played a real part because I see some of them now they get Three sub appearances that are add up for about ten minutes. They get a medal. <laughs> they've got the old medal round their neck and in, in their mouth, tuning it as if they've made a contribution. I probably done more going to Sainsbury's this morning than some of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, uh, we we we. It's it, it, we're in such an unbelievable position. We're playing so well. We had momentum, but it just shows you the flip of a coin, or you know how quickly things can turn in football. That's the saying. People, fans probably get sick of football. People saying the old cliches, but it is football can change so quick. You can be on such an upward curve, and then you take your eye off the ball or the foot off the gas. You think, 
or as a person, personally, you're playing well and you think, oh, I'm the bee's knees, and all of a sudden, comes and smacks you in the face and it the game changes so quickly. And I think that's what happened with us. We Not that we didn't, we didn't take our eye off the ball. I thought we'd done it, but, you know, whether we thought, well, surely we can't let a 12-point lead erode. And then, obviously, Man United just turned turned up the heat. Cantona was brilliant, usually scoring the winning goal. Schmeichel was on fire at the other end. Because, um, obviously, at that time, we were obviously playing alternate times on a weekend because the Sky wanted us both live at the same time. And we would obviously be watching the games um, when we weren't playing. And without them too, we probably we probably would have been home safely. But that's what happens when you've got experienced players who've been there, seen it, done it. I think in our time, in our squad, we probably had uh, we probably had about four or five people who'd done it. We probably had uh, well David Batty who'd come in who'd done it at Blackburn. Peter had obviously done it at Liverpool. Um, I'm not sure it was Barry around the squad still then, Barry Venison. I, I'm not too sure. And, 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 possibly, yeah. and Brace and Brace possibly. So you've, you've got those type of lads. Uh, they were the only real experience where you look at Man United and, and most of their players uh, had a succession of Premier League titles winners. So they they knew what the running was about and they knew that, that was the, 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 the most important period. Yeah. Sam, I'll let you ask Lee about... Um... The current situation at Newcastle, of course, we've finished 13 back to back now. Um, it's been an interesting season, hasn't it, Sam? It has, but sorry, Johnny, very, very quickly, I just want to ask Lee one more thing because he mentioned his second stint there at Newcastle. How did things differ the second time round? Because obviously, Graham Sooness brought you back, completely different character to Kevin Keegan. There was no clicks, like you said, the first time round. Was there the second time round? Um, it, not as such, but it wasn't. It wasn't the same dressing room. And I, but I, what I would say to to offset that was, it would be very difficult to replicate what we had then. Um, so you know, what I would say is, yeah, Graham was a different guy. I know he wasn't the most popular Newcastle manager there's ever been. It was always going to be difficult when you were following Sir Bobby, and I know a lot of fans were disappointed in the way uh, Sir Bobby had got mo- moved on. Um, but you know, in terms of a man and, and what he'd achieved in the game, I, I was I, I liked him a lot, and um, he just never got the results that was required to be a Newcastle United manager. And um, and 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 there was one or two issues with certain personalities and players inside the football club that were a little bit different. And it was a different club. Uh, there was no getting away from that fact. Um, but we had to try and. Myself being a senior player, obviously Alan was the captain. Cheer given. Um, I mean, you would you would probably say people would say, "Oh, Mike alone," but Mike was such a quiet, insular guy that even though he was experienced, he wasn't probably someone that you know led led by example. He just got on with it and uh, and basically looked like a player who Newcastle was his second choice in terms of him coming from Real Madrid. Um, I think we were a choice of get back to the UK. It wasn't his ideal choice. Everyone knew he wanted to get back to Liverpool. That didn't happen. And he just looked a player that was there to uh, just play football and just get on with his life, really. And he was back in the UK. So we, the senior lads that were there were, were, were trying to change things around. Obviously, then Glenn came in, done very well, got, got a good run of results towards the end of the season to get the club into the Europa League. So, uh, finished off strongly. But 
to answer your question, I always think it's going to be really, really difficult. In my managerial career, I've tried to replicate that and found it difficult in terms of the players' mentality, the players' camaraderie um, of, 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 of what we had. And, and people say it's a different era now, but it doesn't mean you can have it. You don't have to have a, a, a tight-knit group of players because I hear all the managers say now when their teams are successful, they've got a great togetherness and it's no surprise that they, they are successful when they have that. Yeah, of course. Uh, as you look at the current day now, Lee, obviously Steve Bruce has been manager this season after a place in Rafa Benitez, 13th place. I think in Newcastle, some Newcastle fans would have been surprised that he managed to replicate more or less exactly the same as Rafa Benitez did last season. On the whole, as obviously as a Newcastle fan now, are you happy with how things are going on the pitch from Steve Bruce's point of view? But how much do Newcastle need any any type of takeover? Because ambition is the word that's been mentioned a lot with this football club. Is that was what is severely lacking at the minute? Well, the first part in terms of where they finished under Steve, I think with the quality of the squad that we have, um, and it's disappointing to say, I think it's where we all expect to be. Um, and it's so sad for us to say that. It really, really is sad. Um, I mean, it's. I see that, you know, some of the things when I watch the games and I've watched them all since we've come back from uh, the lockdown. And um, it, it, it must be so frustrating at times um, that you want the team to, to play better than they can. Have we got a, a squad stronger than we have? I mean, what, how you judge it, you judge it on not just on the starting eleven. you judge what you've got on the bench. Uh, and we're just talking about, and we're talking about my personal experiences, why I felt it was time to leave, you know, when I've run on run a form of playing really well and scoring three goals and three three games from midfield. If, if we had midfield players doing that, they'd be in line for player of the season. Now, yeah, you know? Of course. So, <laughs> uh, never, never been getting dropped in the fourth game. So, um <laughs> it was uh, that. That's the difference, and it, it really worries me. It worries me now that the takeover hasn't happened. That we're going to be under the new, the current ownership for the, for this up and coming transfer window. That when he was in charge and he seemed to be happy that he was in charge, he didn't really invest in the team. But now he's desperate to sell, and he's got, he's close to a deal, or he's or he's close as he's ever been to a deal. Is he going to provide the manager with any type of funds? You know, I see we're being linked with different players, players that I would like, you know, Callum Wilson, for example. I would like to see Callum Wilson at Newcastle. But are we really going to be challenging Tottenham Hotspur and West Ham for him? From past history, I'd probably say no. I would like to to have been in the in the mix. And he might have said no because he might have wanted to stay down south for Adam Lallana. These are the type of players I would like to have Newcastle have gone to to try and take us to the next level. Not only top players, but have experience of the Premier League. For me, it could be another, I don't know, I'm hopefully going to be proved wrong. And Steve's got uh, aims in the fire and there's going to be money being spent somehow, but the history tells us isn't. I'm just worried that it's going to be free transfers. And there is good free transfers out there if you're prepared to pay the salaries, but we've never been a club during my ex-ownership that have paid the salaries if, if the real, real top elite Premier League clubs shouldn't be really dealing in the loan market. They have so much finance. The loan market should be for lower league clubs, in my opinion. Uh, the only players that the only players that should be used in a Premier League loan should be if, say, 
Liverpool or Man United or uh, Chelsea have a superstar. Say Billy Gilmore, for example. Your Cast United might want to take a Billy Gilmore. That might be the only time that you should be allowed to do a loan like that where you're getting a real top, top player. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just very concerned. And I, I hope I'm proved wrong. I hope they go out and splash the cash. But I can't, history tells me that that's not going to be the case. Hist even when the, the owner was strongly in his ownership position, um, you know, his his business world took a massive hit as well, hasn't it, during COVID, in terms of his, uh, you know, all these other businesses. So, and we do need we do need strength. And I think the players, the players would enjoy to see better players coming in. That lifts their game. That lifts the standard of training. It lifts the standard of the, you know, and, and when you've got, when you're on the starting 11 and you know there's some top quality players on the bench itching to get in and if you don't perform and they get on the pitch and they perform you out the team, subconsciously, you're thinking your standard and your performance level has to be really high all the time and it's a knock-on effect. And I think the way Steve spoke as well, that he might want to play in a different way you know, we need those type of players if, if he wants to do that. But, you know, because when I talk about the loans, I, I just believe the loan signings that were made in January didn't make me, didn't make we any better at all. Uh, didn't improve us. Weren't any better in the positions that were brought in than the players who were already at the club. So, you know, that, that that's the problem you have. Who, If you're getting a loan player, is he really going to be at the level where he's better than what you've got? As I said, if it's a Billy Gilmore who's out of who's Chelsea might want Newcastle to give him 38 Premier League games so then he's ready for them in a year's time you know that's completely different but I'm, I've got to say I'm, I'm concerned because if there's not improvement to the squad you know if you stand still in the Premier League you're not really stand still you'll start dropping because everyone else is improving For sure Sam is there anything else you want to ask before I ask Lee's final question before he has to head off? No, he's spot on though, isn't it? That what we've been saying all season on the channel as well, it's what this squad currently is lacking is competition for places. I mean, you look back at the team Lee's played in, wasn't guaranteed a game every week, so it would spur everyone in that squad to to really push on and make that shirt their own. But um, we've got a couple of questions uh, left in. Uh, one from Stephen. Do you think Kenny Daglish dismantled what Kevin Keegan did at Newcastle by getting rid of players such as yourself, Les and uh, Ginola and bringing people in like Rush Barnes and Des Hamilton? Yeah, Des was brought in as my replacement. So I must have been absolutely useless. Listen, <laughs> 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 uh, uh, yeah, you're talking about top players who went out the door and uh, Especially, you know, when you talk about Rushy and, and John Barnes, they were top players, but were they past their best when they came to us? I, you know, the, pro, the probably answer to that is probably yes. They still made contributions, don't get us wrong, and they were world-class in, in their heyday. Um, but at that time, it was a different type of player, wasn't it? And uh, and the proof was in the pudding. It didn't work out. We had a, the, the club had a, a disappointing season, even though they got to the cup final. The league position wasn't was one of the lowest it had been until Mike Mike Ashley's era, wasn't it? Yeah, for sure. Um, just very briefly, we have to touch about Newcastle Blue Starley and your role there as director of football. Um, are you enjoying the new role? Are you enjoying being involved? Even if it's just something like Newcastle Blue Stars, you would be a club on the up. Absolutely. I mean, it's in 
in its infancy at the moment. So I've been down to it's the, the the youngsters have just started their full contact training with the COVID nineteen. So I've just been down a couple of nights, get me first glimpses of all the different teams. You know, from the real little ones, to, you know, just running around enthusiastically loving that football to the 16s and 17s under 23s the first team Kenny Wharton had them training the other night when I was down there um, you know starting to get a bit of sponsorship in for the club uh, we're, we're developing the ground when it's finished it's going to be terrific it's going to be football league standard that's the benefit that's the uh, ambition of the club eventually in it maybe 10 12 years to, to try and be a football league club and the, the owner and the chairman and the committee that they're not shy in telling people that. So, and it was the retro kit as well. That was a big pull when they took, you know, I was talking to them for a while and they were asking us about different positions in the club. And I said, well, one thing I would like to do would be to run the overall football side of the club, not getting, you know, the the, fo- the first team, have got a management team who are doing terrific, be there for them if they need us for anything, but the academy side of it, get us to a level where we've got some kind of elite academy help with sponsorship of building the stadiums get contacts for the uh, youngsters if we have any good up and coming youngsters where we have all the northeast clubs contacted york clubs in yorkshire clubs in scotland have festivals where we invite some of the boys clubs around the area to come and play against the from the contacts i.e up in scotland rangers celtic hearts hibs kilmarnock down down here in England, you know, and, and just really, really bring the club on. There's great ambition to, you know, have a full-size 4G pitch floodlit for the training, but also for use in the community. The chairman is from that part of the world. He wants to put something back in the community, and I'm really excited by it. It's, it's, it's right at the start of it all at the moment. You know, you'd come down and you'd think, but... The plans are in place. We, we, we're set with tin motion in terms of the main stand, a 500-seater main stand being built, brand new first-team dressing rooms, referees rooms, manager rooms, physio rooms. But then on top of that, which we feel is important, is a 300-seater hospitality room, which is glass-fronted, which can see onto the pitch, but also glass at the back so they can look onto the little seven-a-side pitch where the mini-soccer goes on as well for one of the teams. And... Uh, it, we want to make it where the, the, the kids come and enjoy it, the boys and the girls who've got girls teams, but also the parents as well. The parents can trust the football coaches and us as a club to look after the children, but they can also come and enjoy it. We've got a great lounge already there, the Sir Bobby Robson Lounge. I don't know if you've ever been in or seen it, but it's well, a terrific, you, you, you know, you, for being a, if you're a, if you're a staunch Newcastle fan like yourselves are, You'd love it. You'd uh, you'd have a lump in your throat because it's dedicated to the great man. It's adorned with black and white shirts. It just gives you the feel. And then you see the kits hanging up, the black and white striped comb kit with a blue star on the front, and then the silver away kit with a blue star. And it's the old retro numbers, and it just gives you a feeling of yesterday, yesteryear, and uh, gives you a buzz. So, so something I've always thought about doing. I've done my stint as a manager, unless something really exciting comes on the horizon for us. This is something I want to do. And it's me as well giving me giving something back to, to the city that give give me great things. So, as I said, it's going to take a long time. It's just really at the start of its infancy at the moment. But I know that the, the main thing for me is the people who are running the club are really, really ambitious. They're not frightened to tell people. We might fail. We mightn't get to where they're trying to say it, but at least, at least we'll have a go. And I think we'll attract what, what we're going to try and do over the course of the season with the first team is 
you know, um, have the games, the home games, where they don't uh, they don't fall in line with a home game for Newcastle United. So you might say, for example, Newcastle are, are playing on a, a late on a Saturday evening, say a five thirty kickoff. We might try and get a one o'clock kickoff where some of the Newcastle fans might come watch the game, have a beer, then get themselves off to St James's Park for the first for the big ones. So, or even a Friday night fixture for the first team. We've thought about that as well, where fans might want to start that weekend. And because towards the end of the season, the first team were at the top of the league before the COVID kicked in, and getting between about five hundred and seven hundred fans, which is a terrific return for Northern the Lions team. And we just want to try and make it for the community. The hospitality areas of the ground will be will be football league worthy. So. You know that that that's the whole point of it. I'm I'm real excited by it, and it was it's been great the last couple of nights going seeing the kids in the all in that training same training kit with that blue big blue star on that on that chests and uh, seeing the enjoyment they get. And uh, so I want to try and be part of that. Well, Lee, we can only here at Newcastle fans to wish you all the very best with everything that you do with Newcastle Blue Star. And if there is a potential management career. Obviously, we've seen the big runs down the touchline with Birmingham and uh, Kilmarnock over the years. You might see one there where you've got your blue star bet, jacket on as well. I, I bet you Newcastle fans wish I was that quick when I played. <laughs> 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 yeah, that was the Lee, big thing. I wasn't very quick. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're definitely quick on those occasions, I have to say. Lee, it's been Brilliant. an absolute pleasure for having you on this afternoon. Um, all I can say is, is a thank you for your hard work at Newcastle and another thank you for coming on the Green and Molder show tonight. Thanks for having us on, guys. All the best. Cheers, thank you bro. very much. And that is the end of the episode, guys. Thank you very much for your comments as Lee uh, leaves the stream. But, Sam, just very briefly, what a show we just had there. Oh, what a top, top bloke. I mean, that was brilliant. I mean, that comment, I'm still kind of trying not to giggle about it. About <laughs> Hamilton, that was absolutely <laughs> Superb. And who would have thought it? That, that project with uh, Blue Star sounds absolutely fantastic. So uh, that's something to definitely get behind. Who would have thought it? A Northeast team with a bit of ambition. Oh, no, exactly. Exactly. But uh, a big thanks to our sponsors, BF52. You can also get BF52 beers from BF52.com forward slash NFT. You can get eight beers for five ninety five, which is just the price of postage. And now you can uh, get to see this podcast on Spotify and iTunes in the near future. We'll announce that on all our socials on Newcastle Fans TV, on our Twitter and our Facebook pages in particular. But from Sam Mulner and myself, Johnny Greenwood, thank you very much for listening to this podcast or this episode that you've uh, watched today.